0: Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather. Political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I skipped last week because I was out sick. Yeah, you got Uh, ill because you... See, for
1: our dear listeners... Not not
0: Rona, but... No, our
1: dear listeners need to know that your partner has poured bleach on food before to stop you from eating rancid food, hasn't she?
0: That's not true. The food was in the bin.
1: Yeah, but she had to pour bleach on it to stop you <laughs> from going into the bin, didn't she?
0: That's, what? When you did got, that
1: happen? That did happen. You got ill from eating a sandwich, didn't you?
0: I wasn't <laughs> like Homer. You were all like Homer. You were all exactly felt. like Homer. Um, look, it, it wasn't from Rona, but it was maybe from a wrongan, from mm. a, a chicken wing or something like there that. There we go. There we go. Um, actually, no, it was probably from a, it was a burger. It was a takeaway. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: But you know that, that tasted funny, but he wouldn't stop eating it, would you?
0: I was eating it on the day. It, mm. I ate everything on the day it was delivered. I didn't even leave it in the fridge like I usually do. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Hmm. But yeah, but, so yeah. what have you been doing other than being ill?
0: Um, Working out what I'm going to do for Christmas.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, I don't quite know what... So everyone has been told... For a long time, I feel like they've been setting this up that you have five or so days, four or five days over Christmas when uh, visiting restrictions, visiting restrictions because of Corona are being lifted and everyone can see their family. Three family units uh, per household can gather together. Um, That has started to fall apart over the last couple of days where um, various scientists are warning that uh, it could cause another spike. Um, I say that,
1: yeah. like, it's interesting even you said, like, warning all they're doing is pointing to what happened with Thanksgiving in America Yeah It yeah. is um, a nice one that the government what they decided to do is to treat us all like adults and tell us to act with common sense to do what's safest for for us, basically absolving them from any responsibility and leaving it to us to talk to our parents who may or may not have been like ardent brexiters or say i'm not speaking about anyone in particular maybe you've got but maybe you have you know a stepfather who has a trump bobblehead and so maybe it is quite hard to explain (laughs) to some of these people but you know it's good that they've left it to us
0: (laughs) rather than them
1: them themselves (laughs) just say no don't do it it's stupid
0: it's just it's been it's it's been the um the pattern of this of the the whole fucking thing Mm -hmm. and it's really starting to kind of kind of great
1: yeah you know yeah, like, i
0: can't i just can't decide like you, you can whenever there's something new like a lot of the kind of political communication depends on how like you snag it do you snag it on a headline do you snag it on like something that pops up on like bbc or or a, a newspaper website or <clears throat> on your email um and i'm so fucking sick of the fact that like everything that comes out you can't tell whether it's like advice instruction some kind of like floaty bit of advice that they're putting out there to see how it lands or if it's just fucking um westminster gossip yeah yeah you know like this this thing of floating news two days before something is put in, like it happened again. Yeah. London was uh like somebody on I think it was Matt Hancock said like, oh yeah, like their briefing he he briefed ministers about London going into tier three rather than tier two. Mm. And then like, yeah, literally like an hour later they just announced it. And it's like, we were going to announce it on Wednesday, but you know, we'll do it now. Yeah. That was supposedly like they can't stick to anything. Mm-hmm. And they can't there's no reliable source of communication because at that point they would have to form a solid centre of power that could be answered, like, that has to answer to people. There seems to be a
1: couple of things that that are inherently bad, that, like, just not particularly good ways of dealing with, especially, like, with coronavirus. Like, Brexit, Hmm. like, it feels like a lot of the stuff they're doing is the same way that they were dealing with explaining to all of us what they were doing with Brexit. And they're mm-hmm. trying to do the same kind of thing. And that The is, that, first off, no, um, there's, power is dispersed. Who's in charge? Mm-hmm. God knows who's in charge. You know what I mean? Like, it's all, like everyone acts like they're independent, sort of, and then ultimately Boris is in charge. But there was that whole time where for some reason Dominic Raab was in charge. But then they also do these things like, Oh, so with the current tier system, it's like we'll look at it every two weeks because everyone knows that the virus works on a very two-week schedule, and will, <laughs> nothing will change in the meantime. They should, they should have like they never should have said that. They always should have said things will change. Mm. Do you mean? But they never do that kind of thing because they like to have because they're you know British government and they're they're fucking because they're Tories. They like their set rules. They like to have their fucking timetables, even if they don't end up sucking, sticking. to them. Oh God, drives me mad.
0: I don't. I don't even know if it's like a necessarily a Tory thing cuz like the modern Tory actually lo- what they like is talking about rules but having absolute impunity to do anything they want. Yeah, but they that's what I mean. That's what I mean. They, they say, say, they they say we're going to talk but... about
1: it in 2 weeks. Well that's when we'll change things. Hmm. And then they'll, you know, ultimately they'll check, break those rules by just announcing a change like a couple of days earlier. <laughs> I
0: mean, I know like I know like you know for for years from the Brexit Trump era we've been talking about like the collapse of institutions mm. and the collapse of trust in in institutions but like yeah. it there it feels like there is no there is no reliable pipeline to the state anymore the state yeah. is is completely sealed off unless it's like coming for you yeah you know yeah it's very weird
1: it's it's interesting cuz like um people like us have not really trusted what's come out of the government for our adult lives, and haven't trusted most sure. of what's been announced in the press for most of our adult lives, but noticing the shift in for lack of a better term normies and mm. their response to it, like the amount of times I've talked to my parents who who have said for like like "Oh, I just don't know who to listen to anymore mm. and you know who picks up the slack with that, and it's it's Facebook. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a different... Th- there is a difference, because I think people have said, well, oh, uh, politicians are all full of shit. Like, they've... they've, People have hung on to that cliche for fucking... Oh, yeah. Cent- um, centuries. Yeah. But, like, there's, there's something different about it now, because this has entered the... This isn't just the realm of policy. This is the realm of, like, actual kind of medical advice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it is actually interesting what you said about, like, there's no centre of power, because, like... I've actually been feeling that recently because, like, yeah, sometimes it's Johnson who comes out and says something. Sometimes it's Hancock. Sometimes it's Rob, and it it does feel like, like I felt like for ages that like I can't, I can't, I don't picture like the PM ship, the premiership. Mm. I can't picture that and picture Boris. No. In it. To me, he doesn't really like feel like it. I
1: see, and he doesn't seem like a leader. He doesn't seem prime ministerial enough. Yeah, he's not. He's Have not, you got he's a fantasy strong, cabinet ready primi- to pitch me?
0: <laughs> I okay, Joe Swinson. <laughs> um, no, but like, well, I just think been, there's a good he, chance
1: in the elections in May the
0: Lib Dems could win everything. Oh, yeah, well, look, two hundred <laughs> plus. So actually, for council <laughs> seats, would that be very? That wouldn't be very good, would it? Um, <laughs> No, like he's been like it. It did strike strike me that Boris has been prime minister for less than eighteen months. Still, yeah, as of as of recording, we're recording this on the sixteenth of December. I think, yeah, he's been he's been prime minister for less than eighteen months, and yet for years beforehand, probably even in Cameron's time, there was always that little bit of look of oh, Boris, future prime minister. It, it waxed and waned, mm. but then when Theresa May became prime minister, I can't even fucking remember what it was like to have Theresa May as prime minister. Um, um I remember but it there was a came, lot of staring came at, back and forth
1: a lot of staring at podiums to try and work out if she was going to call an election while they were mm. scrying trying to define divine meaning from what was hanging off the um off the lectern.
0: Yeah. Like it, it's not it's not an instinctual thing. Mm. And you would think the amount he the amount he is supposed to have been up in front of the public yeah. with Brexit and Covid that it would be a like a oh yeah he is. You know, it feels like it feels more like the government kind of happens as a kind of hand in hand thing between some ministers occasionally and then some news commentators interpretation of something they heard that they can't reveal their source. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the obvious outcome of transcribing every press release as if it's news, as if it's political analysis. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It feels weird, but I think like it doesn't feel like we've had actually a prime minister since David Cameron, who kind of at least fit the like fit the model for how engaged and what what he should be responsible for. It feels like this. There's a particular PR regime, a particular management regime in place in number 10 at the moment. Yeah. And the whole thing is designed to be as absolutely opaque as possible, you know. Yeah. Opaque means you can't see through it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. as opaque and shifting as possible. And I think that is actually having like delayed psychological effects. Like the government is Hancock, Rab, Pretty Patel, Sunak, and Laura Koonsberg and you know Robert Peston. Uh,
1: you know? Like, yeah. That's yeah. No. that's
0: that's the government. It's like a, a hunter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Yeah, it does feel like that. It feels very it's um also with like okay, so how long have we been nine months? But nine months. Like the year. The thing is it's just especially with the way that this government is and the way they've the way they've dealt with all of it, is you know when you're at the bus stop or and or the train station and you're waiting for a train and Mm. Um, This happened more when I wasn't living in. No, no,
0: I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore.
1: I can't remember. It's been too many, too, too long. (laughs) But like you're waiting at the train station, waiting for the train, and it says the train, and it says the time expected, and it says it's like going to be ten minutes late, and then ten minutes go past, and it says it's still going to be another ten minutes, and that happens over and over and over again for like an Mm. hour, and by the end of that hour, you've chewed through your fingers, and you're like fucking furious. Whereas if it just mm. said the train's going to be an hour late, you would have just gone and had yeah. a fag and just be okay with it. And it feels yeah. like I'm the. It feels like we're at like the forty five minute of that hour wait of being told it will be the train will be here in a minute. It's okay. Yeah.
0: Does that make sense? I don't. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's happening with everything as well. It's happening with Brexit, which, by the way, is supposed <clears> to happen in what two weeks? Yeah, some of that. <laughs> the Brexit is in two weeks. Yeah, and like. I read news occasionally, and I could not tell you how close or how far away they are. Yeah, Again, it's just, the two minutes, two minutes thing. I don't think it's just COVID that's yeah. caused this particular like oh, no. strategy.
1: No, but, um, but I think I th- it feels Brexit. Yeah. I don't think it would be like so all encompassing because, like, if if COVID wasn't happening and it was just Brexit, there wouldn't be the fact that you know we can't go outside. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be it a is, bit easier to deal with.
0: I think this has to have like some ongoing i mean we talk about how kind of media affects psychology and and it affects how how people you know share things without reading the article or you know mm. whatever it affects people's behavior and attention spans and things like that but i think this kind of this kind of thing eventually does have to have a a knock on effect in how people like Take these things, you know, like if you if, if this has been the way when COVID is so fucking serious, this huge pandemic, and this is how it's being treated, mm. like I think they would have to move on. I mean, if it is, say, it's, it's Cummings's idea to have this kind of non linear, <laughs> uh, chaos theory, um, media response for tackling a pandemic, yeah, like I don't, I, I genuinely don't think you can have the attention and the energy to keep. Doing it, and of course the knock-on effect is people will like stop watching, and presumably, media outlets start to change the way they're doing because their their viewing figures are going down. Mm. Yeah, you know, or maybe not. I mean, papers have been doing it for ages, and they still do exactly the same thing. But I just don't understand. There's there is no there's there's only a kind of aesthetic ending to it. There's no. There's no p- politics to it. There's no like going through exactly what the choices are. Which is to be expected. It's not a very democratic system. Yeah. But the actual engagement level is is rock bottom. Maybe I just feel like Jeremy Corbyn was the Jeremy in, in this narrative, Jeremy Corbyn was the obvious Prime Minister. Maybe <laughs> that's why I feel like there's been no uh, there's been no Prime Minister since Cameron. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. That story, they 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 whiffed the the end of the series. That's that's speaking of which, actually, that's uh, that's a year. This what? week, isn't it? The uh, um, election. Um,
1: yeah, I'm still, I don't know if I'm right. <coughs> I don't know if I'm ready to talk about that. Um, really? Well, oh, I am. Um, maybe yeah. Maybe as a proper episode, not as a little intro bit. Alright, right, but yeah, fine, fine, fine. We'll probably talk. What you will probably talk about it like year round up because it's it has been weird because like our whole like the podcast we our podcast been going for a while now, um, mm. and the whole time this is like our first year without a Labour leader who you could at least expect not to Re- go on Nick Ferrari's show. A <laughs> 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 Nick Ferrari. Oh god, it just like it's, you know people like the Nick Ferrari thing with Keir Starmer. It's like people were annoyed about the. You know that there was that he so, didn't yeah, combat Kier, a, Kier, an obvious Kier white supremacist on, myth. Um, yeah, Pierce
0: Starmer went on LBC and someone phoned in talking about white replacement um, <laughs> theory. Yeah, and uh, he didn't really have. I, I don't. I haven't actually watched the clip, but he didn't have either the the bra the brain in his head to say absolutely not, or he got caught out by trying to again do that thing yeah. of equivocating on those on those issues.
1: Yeah, but it's like. They chose that person. Like LBC has so, like I've heard that caller. Well, not that specific <coughs> caller, but callers literally peddle that bullshit constantly. Yeah. Fucking Nick Ferrari peddles that bullshit. Um, it's disgusting <laughs> that anyone, anyone who who considers himself left wing would ever go on that fucking show. And I include fucking Owen Jones whenever he goes on onto those shows and talks to those fucking people. Um, so oh, just. But yeah, it's it's kind of yeah, it's been a bit of weird year with, with having it's it's, it's no Jeremy it, it,
0: Corbyn. Yeah, it it is kind of pathetic because like what we were talking about a minute ago with the Tory media strategy, it does seem like quite a lot of it is geared towards how do we make Starmer, um commit to cancelling Christmas? Yeah, you Ugh. know, and imagine imagine like this strength of Tory government, hmm. the size of their majority, and the allies and the, coal- the shaky but, you know, their firm coalition mm. that they have with the media and with various institutions. They're starting to get people in universities. They're starting to get race theory back in. They're starting to put fucking um, David Goodhart on the EHRC. <laughs> That's uh, that you know, they are they are fucking cracking, out. they are that's they an expellable offence
1: from a party that we're no longer members of. To dare <laughs> yeah. to, dare to Is suggest, that a trope? To, well, I think you're not allowed to, um, to say that the HRC isn't independent,
0: <laughs> but just imagine like being that level of Tory government yeah. and then having your entire strategy based around can we get Keir Starmer <laughs> to say he hates Britain? <laughs> <laughs> Still. Because it's... it's... Hates hates happiness. (laughs) Why do you want to burn all the stockings, Keir?
1: Why did you insist on nurses getting the vaccine before Father Christmas? That's why
0: he's in (laughs) lockdown still. Keir Starmer, that wasn't a journalist hit. uh, That wasn't a a cyclist he hit. That was a reindeer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it was a medical supply person who was going to give the vaccine to Father Christmas. But Father Christmas is still on furlough now.
0: That cyclist had Brexit on him. <laughs> and that's why we are not exiting the European Union. Oh god. They still
1: the thing is they still do that as well. They're saying like, oh look, he wants to cancel Brexit. And it doesn't have, help that um, you know, some of his most ardent supporters still say things like, Rejoin. That's gonna be a fun <laughs> thing. That's, that's that's gonna be our that's like
0: has gone so quiet. No, but though, that's that gonna be ha- that's Remain gonna come back. So fucking it quiet. has. But that's it, gonna it be will, our yeah. delight
1: that's gonna be our delightful um cheese and biscuits after coronavirus has finally ...properly died down and Brexit... ...and we've had the first wave of whatever Brexit actually is happen. And it'll be like summer next year... ...there'll be like these sweet little mouche-bouches... ...this sweet little bit of rejoin, rejoin. And that'll be what we'll be able to... ...like fill ourselves up for over the summer.
0: Can you tell me where my country lies? Said the uniform to his true love's eyes... It lies with me, cried the Queen of Maybe For her merchandise he traded in his prize Sign, old father thames it seems he's by the pound so this week one thing we did want to talk about is something we've uh, wanted to talk about for a little while um
1: four years actually we've been obsessed for
0: four, four years actually yeah um So one of the first shots we got on the night of the EU referendum all those years ago um, was the count in Sunderland, widely expected to vote narrowly for leave because of the presence of a uh, Nissan plant, which was dependent on exports. It actually um, voted for leave in much larger numbers, eventually going to uh, 61 to 39 in favour, which was, I remember, greeted with surprise on the evening and would actually foretell the eventual kind of surprise of the leave result. Um, Some cannier commentators noted the synchronicity with another series of events that started in Sunderland 15 years earlier, when a group of market traders prosecuted by their local councils for using imperial measures became a hot topic, small scale, but that never quite went away and would come to define modern populist anti-EU politics, and it would also provide a model for the shape of Brexit to come. Talk about the metric martyrs. Glorious. In 2001, green grocer Steve Thorburn sold a bunch of bananas for 34 pence to an undercover trading standards officer. He had previously had his imperial scales um, seized and the stamps erased (laughs) by Sunderland City Council after a previous case and had been warned to adhere to regulations. Um, (laughs) His scales... Sorry, they just got images.
1: There's like, in the centre of town, there's a furnace as they throw in all the little imperial weights into it, melting them and smelt them into good, honest metric
0: weights. so in, two, in 2000, he got his, he got his scale seized, but they gave him back because they do, they, they obliterate the, um, marks that say that they <laughs> these are official, like, oh take away the official mark, approved, um, uh, measuring scales. Yeah. Um, but this time in 2001, his, um, his scales were confiscated as they did not measure a metric and he was actually, um, prosecuted. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was convicted of offences under the 1985 Weights and Measures Act, uh, particularly of using illegal weighing equipment, and he was given a six-month discharge. Um, Metrication actually wasn't, didn't just come in in the 90s and the 2000s. It actually started as early as the 1930s, ordnance survey started using metric uh, measurements on their maps. And the Board of Trade had started converting to a metric standard in 1965, which was 10 years before the UK joined the common market. The original 1985 Weights and Measures Act said traders were allowed to trade in either pounds or kilos, as well as all the subunits. Um, in addition, older imperial units were allowed to be used as supplementary indicators. And I'm going to read some of these out because they're really funny. Okay. Um, they were allowed to measure in furlong, chain, rood, chain. bushel, chain, yep, don't know what that is, uh, bushel, <laughs> peck, yep. fluid drachm. Fluid drachm. Yeah. Awesome. Minim, hundredweight, cental, pennyweight, ounce apothecary, <laughs> scruple, and quintal. <laughs> I would like a scruple of bananas, please.
1: <laughs> um, and an ounce apothecary so... of raspberries.
0: <laughs> so, as is my right change...
1: as a true-born son of Britain,
0: of Albion, I think you'll find. Yes. <laughs> In 1994, a regulation was passed um, under the obligation of ministers to um, pass secondary EU legislation mm-hmm. that amended British law to bring it closer to EU law, which was covered in the 1972 European Communities Act. Um, this regulation kind of backdated and basically said that metric and imperial must be displayed together until at least January the 1st, 2000, after which uh, stuff was only allowed to be sold in metric. However, you were still allowed to weigh it out, you had to weigh it in, in, in metric and you have to display it only in metric but you were allowed to like say sell a pound of bananas because yeah. you can't really say I can't sell you that, I have to sell you this Like yeah. you can still do it as long as all the all the maths and all the, the yeah. advertising is done in metric you could still do it in imperial but um, yeah in any case Thoburn was uh, convicted of offences under this act um, and he, yeah he was given a six month discharge sentence
1: There's, um, Before you carry on there is hmm if listeners want to look if you look up metric martyrs the pictures of every single one of these people who like gets arrested or gets warned to stop using their imperial measures every single picture looks exactly like you'd imagine it is the same kind of person like like they're different body shapes different genders but there's something very similar about all of them and they're always holding their produce in that very, I like, feel, sad face on the front of the newspaper. I feel like
0: that's, that's, that has to be, like, a um, a media thing. Like, because, like, there is no different picture of that. Mm-hmm. It's it's the um, grumpy people from local newspapers, yeah. look. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, there's a and lovely like, picture of I there's I some guy who's upset do- about his fish not being able to be sold in imperial measure, and he's just him standing there holding a big dead fish.
0: You know, someone pointing at an electrical substation saying, there's shit on my substation. <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of... Yeah. Why do people steep shitting all over my water pipes? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so in response to this, there was uh, some form of um, organised response Had would already been supporting Thoban from his earlier offences. Um, campaigners <laughs> organised a fundraising dinner dubbed The Last Supper. God. Yes, that's right. Um... It was organized by the British Weights and Measures Association and Neil Heron, who was a fellow market trader of uh, Fishmonger. Um, a number of other cases had come up since the law had changed, uh, and they came to be organized into a group under Neil Heron's chairmanship called the Metric Martyrs. Um, they included Colin Hunt, who was a fruit and veg seller in Woodford Green, uh, who fell foul of Hackney Council trading standards. He had disposed of his imperial scales and got some metric ones, but still advertised in pounds, doing the calculation in his head, which resulted in underweight goods being sold, which is what he was actually prosecuted for.
1: For ripping people off.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> um, the the court case actually says they believe that it was an honest mistake.
1: So he was just bad at maths. But-
0: that was yeah. They believe it was an honest mistake, but it's still like a yeah. a trading standards offence. You know, yeah. um, similar charges were pursued against Julian Harmon, a greengrocer, and John Dove, a fishmonger, in uh, Cornwall. Um, a campaign by the Daily Mail raised almost seventy thousand pounds for this group. Uh, UKIP uh, very publicly gave uh, on, two thousand on. eight hundred
1: seventy thousand pounds. Are you sure you don't mean like seventy thousand?
0: apothecary... I mean seventy thousand drachmas or chains. <laughs> Seventy thousand euros. <laughs> that's that's next. <laughs> okay. UKIP also gave two thousand eight hundred pounds in kind of the early bit of their their eventual love affair with the media. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they set up a website. You could buy Metric Marta T-shirts. Fantastic. From their website, and uh, there was there were it was covered by most of the media Um, most of the media went out of their way to describe Steve Thoban's life in very self-sacrificing terms Uh, here's here's a quote from the Guardian of all places in January 2001 Um, every day he gets up at 2.30am he is out of the house by 3.30am and buying his produce at the wholesaler then he sells it on his Sunderland market stall very successfully, through a combination of competitive prices and charming traders' banter. He has been selling fruit and veg since he left school. His father did it before him, and it is all he knows and loves. He is not interested in politics. He has never voted in his life. He knows nothing about the Euro, cares even less about the treaties of Maastricht, Rome, and Nice, and is as enlightened about Britain's policies towards Europe as one of his, one of his naval oranges. God, that's patronising. It really is. Um, yeah... It continues, um, if Heron, 37, was not political before, he is now. He has masterminded the campaign. He looks a bit like Bruce Willis, talks in tabloid headlines, and admits he is starting to sound like a politician. In a democracy, uh, he says, in a democracy, market forces will decide when change occurs, not dictates from Brussels. European directives nodded through Parliament with no debate. This cannot and should not be allowed to happen in a democracy. If the government wants to make it a criminal offence to sell a pound of bananas, then get an act of Parliament that says so our parliament should not merely be seen as a rubber stamp for the unelected body of bureaucrats in Brussels. This case has gripped the nation because the imperial system is part of our culture, part of our history, part of our heritage, <laughs> part of our being, and part of our Britishness. And to try and remove it by force and punitive criminal penalties is wrong. It's amazing how much that shifts. Yeah. Yeah he's just an ordinary man. He's up at three thirty. He doesn't give a shit about any of this politics, but he definitely knows about those unelected clowns in Brussels. Yep. It's like, you can see like it, it definitely, I, I, I don't want to say this campaign was dominated by Euro but it 100% became that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, the metric martyrs weren't the only pressure group opposing metrication, of course. Uh, you had the, what I previously mentioned, the uh, the British Weights and Measures Association, mm-hmm. which had been set up in 1995 by Vivian Lineaker, a UKIP candidate who, while standing for uh, the European Parliament in 1995, had asked Enoch Powell to endorse him. Nice. Uh, they were very keen to start a campaign of civil disobedience against metrification, something like when you see... Uh, the number of people we're going to put in prison then we will get change. Was uh, I'm paraphrasing uh, a note from their speech if
1: they see any warning, If they see anything that referred... Like, t- destroying meter rulers and things like that. Just sna- snapping rulers. Yeah.
0: Um, well, you see, what you have to do is you have to get 5% of the entire British population <laughs> in prison on metrication. And then... <laughs> and then they will all change. And then it will automatically change because you'll get the police on your side. I bet there were less um,
1: police involved in this, though, than in... Um... <laughs> Um, well yeah it's, it's admin running.
0: isn't it it's, yeah it's all trading standards mm. um, yeah this uh, the British Weights and Measures Association's support of Foburn's case brought a flood of celebrity supporters to them such as Ian Botham Jules Holland of course Peter Hitchens um, <laughs> of course he Peter still Hitchens. hasn't stopped about it <laughs> of course he wouldn't um, and of all people JK Rowling really, who became an honorary member Really, that's a
1: weird one. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say weird one. she's very odd. Like, but uh, of
0: course. But it was it was a very common thing among kind of like I say popular Euroscepticism. There was mm. a group called the Active Resistance to Metrication, uh, set up by a man called Derek Norman in 1999. Uh, they went round um, swapping out kilometre signs. Uh, road signs. Um, it was a trial, it was actually but, a trial scheme for certain areas that never yeah, actually got say, rolled out
1: fully. I've it's like I haven't seen kilometer signs in this uh, there
0: are none, there yeah. are none. Um, because they, they turn, want this is this is new, this is new labor. Um, and they absolutely did not want to start up these kind of issues if yeah. they could help it. They wanted to start up other issues that <laughs> they could help, um, <laughs> like demonizing, yeah, like and Muslims. But, but yeah, they actually went around seizing signs that were in kilometres. Kilometers. Mm. Um, and even now, I think it's only, I think it's weight limits for lorries on bridges are in metric, and mm-hmm. everything else is in imperial. Oh, um, the height of lorries, you know, the height of lorries going under bridges.
1: Oh yeah, that's in meters.
0: That that's the weight uh, That's actually that's actually in metric and imperial, and yeah. the, the the weight limits are in metric tons. Oh okay. So
1: which is a different a different, yeah, measurement. A different yeah. measurement? Yeah, it's a different measurement.
0: Um, yeah, so this was a group of people who had all been um, convicted. Uh, no one saw jail time. Very few of them saw fines. Um, they had mostly had suspended sentences and, and yeah, discharge, uh, discharge sentences and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, with this kind of influx of money, they could now afford to kind of take it up the chain. So in 2002, they took their prosecution, the appeals for their prosecutions to the high court. Um, the the martyr's argument in the High Court, essentially, was that, yeah, the, it was the 1985 Act, Weights and Measures Act, that they had been convicted under. And the um, passing of that 1985 Act, which came after the 1972 European Communities Act, which meant that they had to update legislation according to what the EU voted on, right? Yeah. What the EU approved. Um, the 1985 Act, which allowed imperial and metric to be displayed together um counted as something called an implied repeal of the 1972 act essentially by proclaiming that both could be displayed parliament was implicitly repealing the 1972 eu act or specifically the stuff that relates to weights and measures and therefore they were they couldn't be prosecuted on it you know because it was the 1972 act that turned, that modified the 1985 act into <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, yeah. It, it's bullshit. It's, it's, no, it's I don't it, really it's, understand it. It's like it.
1: there's fringe on the flag um, bullshit, and or I sign my name in a red pen. It's the same.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it is a legitimate thing. Implied repeal is that if something later on happens, then yeah. it implicitly reply, uh, uh repeals the, but it, like, I don't understand either. The court didn't, either. The judge ruled that the prosecution stood.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, it does feel as if, like, this kind of thing, it was whether the group's Eurosceptic backers thought they could exit the EU by mm. way of bananas, because <laughs> it was the EU Communities Act that everyone always, um, yeah. like, disagreed with. It was the bit that over, apparently overrode parliamentary sovereignty, even though it was put in place by parliamentary sovereignty in the first place. Yeah. Um, did they really think they could exit the EU by way of bananas? <sighs> and is it any stupider than indicative votes? Hmm. It is stupider, yeah. admittedly, Yeah. but, you know. Um, part of the weirdness, <laughs> the continuing weirdness of the trial was uh, the fact that representing the group was one Michael Shrimpton. Uh, he was a QC and part-time immigration judge and an utterly, utterly bizarre character. So he was a member of the Eurosceptic Bruges group okay. um, who had also pledged their support to the metric martyrs. Um, He had attempted to stand as a Labour MP candidate in 1987, having previously been a member of the Conservative Party, the SDP, the Labour Party and the SWP in a matter of about five years. Fantastic. After not being selected to contest the Upspring's by-election, he left Labour to rejoin the Conservatives. However that's not the interesting bit about him He is better known for his other activities uh, Such as setting himself up As an unofficial representative for the McCann family After the disappearance of Madeleine McCann yes. Claiming that he had set up A meeting between them and the Pope
1: okay. And
0: that he had arranged For the British army to, rec- to rescue Madeleine, who was being held On a Moroccan trawler By drug smugglers and then claiming that when people said this was bullshit that he had been authorized by the UK government to issue d notices so that they couldn't report it
1: fantastic
0: it gets better <laughs> he believed himself to be an intelligence expert
1: believed himself
0: um he claimed that his address was the HQ of an international spy network nice where was his address he cl- uh, I don't know. <laughs> he claimed to have a red phone that could contact anyone up to then Vice President Dick Cheney, <laughs> and the uh, and uh, Moscow. Oh, I love uh, the
1: idea of the magic red phone. That's awesome.
0: He wrote for a few kind of more um websites no and journals. Um, he wrote that Iraqi WMDs did exist, but they had been moved to Syria because, yep. quote, "That's what Syria's for." Yep. Well, he would have been told um, on the red phone. He also tried to prove that the Abu Ghraib uh, hood photo was faked. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wrote a book called Spy Hunter, claiming, here we go, that the German intelligence agency had been basically running Europe for the past century, including the claims that Stalin, Lenin, Trotsky and Hitler all knew each other in Vienna whilst employed by Pravda. Uh, while employed at Pravda by agents of the Kaiser, starting in 1909. He developed this into the idea that the secret wartime Nazi spy network was re-established directly after the war and was responsible for the assassinations of JFK, Gandhi, Joe Cox, and James Goldsmith. That German intelligence had constructed, had constructed a child snuff factory that they used to blackmail EU and UK politicians.
1: Snuff factory.
0: Yeah, it was. Well, those a, Germans a... are efficient. <laughs> um, in 2012, he contacted a civil servant close to Philip Hammond, the def- then defense secretary, to say he had information that this German intelligence network had stolen a nuclear warhead from the sunken sub- Russian submarine Kursk and planted it to detonate during the o- Olympic opening ceremony to assassinate the queen. <laughs> He was subsequently arrested for making a false report, and in court, he admitted the case was strange and incredible, but used the court proceedings to introduce an endless line of witnesses that advanced his conspiratorial view. Amazing. While investigating this case, police discovered Shrimpton to be in possession of a memory stick containing indecent images of children. Of course. He was eventually disbarred and banned from working for any legal firm, and having looked him up in the year of our Lord 2020, seems to be firmly on the Trump and Israel train, uh, still claiming he has conversations with the White House.
1: Well, he's still got the red phone. They didn't take that. They just barred him. They didn't take his phone.
0: <laughs> that would have been too much, the yeah. EU taking your red phone. Yeah, they don't they take you your red phone.
1: They don't, if they, they don't take your red phone off you if you've got a USB drive full of <laughs> child
0: porn. <laughs> I fucking miss Eurosceptics, like old Eurosceptics yeah. so much. Yeah, like as soon as it as soon as it became like Michael Gove, yeah, who is a freak but is a very conventional kind of freak. Yeah, yeah, mm. he's
1: he's not going to make up some story about his magic red phone. <laughs>
0: um. So yeah, during this uh, hearing, so um, he's their lawyer. Michael, <laughs> he's their lawyer. He's their QC. He's not just a, he was a judge. <laughs> he was a judge for a while, like an actual for immigration hearings. Would it surprise you to learn that he's quite racist? <laughs> no shit. Um, so during the hearing, he described the uh, the European restrictions as, quote, an invasion of cultural space mm-hmm. and a violation of the right to freedom of commercial speech, saying, I never understand what 110 litres is when I put it into my Brentley. Um, So yeah, here you have a proto-Brexit example of turning a political issue (laughs) He just wants wants to
1: have 17 bushels of petrol in his Bentley that he knows what he's getting
0: This is a a perfect proto-Brexit example of turning a political issue into a cultural one something Mm. that Britain's now made an art form out of Um, So yeah, they lost in 2002 to the High Court Um, They took their appeal eventually to the Lords again Mm. meeting with failure um, by August 2002, they were coordinating with the group Liberty to have the verdict overturned by the European Court on Human Rights, <laughs> ironically, <laughs> on the uh, on the grounds of right to a fair trial, freedom of conscience, freedom of expression, and the rights to peaceful possession of property. Um, yeah, they lost again. Yeah. Um, Steve Thoban sadly died of a heart attack in 2004, um, and while his widow did say that the stress of the court cases took its toll, the coverage of his death... Um, by the Metric martyrs group and by the press, the right wing press especially, basically made out that the EU had killed him for this thing. Bear in mind, I don't—he th- wasn't fined. No. Or if he if he was fined, it was it was a, a couple of thousand pounds, which you know it might have been a lot, but it. it but it would didn't have probably have been
1: paid for by the Metric martyrs group, yeah. to be honest.
0: Yes. Um basically, after 2004, uh, legally, the the EU seemed to get the direction that this this whole issue was going. Um, In addition to this, the abolishment of non-metric units was also complicated by the fact that the US, uh, trade with the US, increasingly required dual labelling on its products. Yeah. um, Because if you're going to sell to the US, who still operate under various imperial measurements, you have to have it labeled twice, so it actually doesn't make sense to have only metric anyway. Yeah. Um, they kind of shelved any further plans to enforce uh, the 1994 regulations in around 2008. Um, only around four traders were ever convicted under metrication regulations, um, but yeah, it, it had a massively outsized cultural cultural mm. impact. Um, it's very interesting, actually. I found Neil Heron, who was the head of the Metric Martyrs Group. Um, he was the apparent mastermind of the campaign. He was a fellow market trader with um, Foburn. Yeah. He ran, the, ran a fish shop in Sunderland, became head of the Metric Martyrs Campaign Group. After his passing and the Metric Martyrs were waiting on various kind of legal outcomes and, and press campaigns, uh, he led a campaign in 2004 against the proposed Northeast Assembly. He was right. actually one of the alternative no- Campaigns that actually lost out to Dominic Cummings huh. uh, for the, to, to be the official the, the official no campaign something yeah. that he actually seemed to be very sore about. Um, he called Dominic Dominic Cummings's uh, campaign a construct and merely a platform for profile raising of Dominic Cummings' new think tank, New Frontiers. Hmm. So in many ways, it kind of mirrors Brexit in that because Aaron Banks and Nigel Farage's campaign was also not made the official the official campaign, in favour of DomCom's uh his own outfit, you know? Yeah. Um, so to complete, uh, back to Neil Heron, uh, he was able to complete his trifecta of dad causes by taking on parking charges. Okay. He was in court again in 2010 trying to have 39 penalty charge notices for parking on single yellow lines revoked. Um, again taking the line that the controlled parking zone was too large and that Sunderland Council had did not have the right to issue fines within the zone if they hadn't accounted for every bit of space with a sign telling you whether you could park or not. Um He continues to get various bits of press coverage, seemed to have become almost like a full-time politico. Uh, The Telegraph in 2009 said, Neil Heron is a sort of latter-day Watt Tyler, leading a peasant's revolt against the parking tyranny that has gripped the land.
1: That's very much what the peasant's revolt was about, was about parking charges.
0: (laughs) Even more interestingly, I looked him up recently. He is currently a CEO. He is the CEO of Grid Smarter Cities, a company he had set up as early as 2009, presumably when he was still helming the anti-parking ticket crusade. Um, It describes itself as a company pioneering a connected smart city ecosystem to create a connected door-to-door experience. Uh, Neil funded the first round of development in his, himself, um, and then got various additional funding from local angel investors. Uh, they created things like Curb VPS, which is an app that reserves a defined location on curb space during an available time slot. It essentially creates a virtual parking space okay. for if you want to deliver something um, or for, like without causing congestion and without yeah. receiving a, a parking ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, he also designed an app. He also, uh, the company also designed an app to help disabled people, disabled people plan journeys, like for help at petrol stations and to find disabled parking and things like that, which is actually like a good idea. But it's like, it's not that there's anything wrong with it. But I wonder where he got like the money for it. Like he owned a fish shop, sure. Maybe he was rolling in it. But I looked him up, and apparently uh, he also set up a company called Heron Developments in two thousand and eight, which was a real estate company. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Um, It's just really interesting that one of the main figures in the metric martyrs kind of ends on such a kind of Cummings esque note. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's a CEO. He goes around giving talk like Ted talks. Yeah. About his app company. Disrupting it's a the very, parking market. Yeah. It's a very odd thing. Um, and yeah, he, he maintained a blog up until 2010, 12, uh, talking about his, his experiences opposing metrication and opposing regionalization as he puts it and opposing, uh, parking charges. And it was a very odd thing towards the end of the metric Martyr campaign in 2007. Um, shortly after the government announced, it wouldn't be seeking to enforce prosecutions anymore. Um, according to his blog, a letter was handed around Ridley road market, uh, which was where Colin Hunt had had his stall.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it was a plain bullet pointed letter, no heading, no letterhead, nothing. Um, essentially refuting the idea that the EU had bowed to pressure and proclaiming we are still a predominantly metric nation. Quote, the announcement to keep supplementary indications in no way invalidates the prosecutions of the metric martyrs and should not deter any trading standards officer from bringing about similar legal action in the future. Neil Heron of the Metric Martyrs campaign group claims to have saved the crown on the British pint. This is not the case. Many of you will be aware that all new pint glasses will now have to bear the CE mark. It's a very weird thing. So apparently this this note, yeah. this like evil villain note, yeah. you, I'll you get may, you next you, time.
1: You did not best me, really. You may have yeah. won this battle, but the war is mine. I will see you 10 kilometres down the road
0: the future belongs to us. It's so weird he put this on it and it's like um it's like I say no letterhead it's just like looks like it was printed out with bullet points. So there's like two possibilities. Either some there was some rogue vindictive trading standards officer <laughs> trying to gain some payback with his evil villain origin story.
1: Yeah.
0: Um but given the it's got a weirdly evil like I say evil villain tone and it feels like someone associated with the campaign just was trying to maintain the grievance after they won.
1: Doesn't sound surprising.
0: It doesn't sound surprising, does it? One of the comments under the blog under this letter reads, quote, I hear Canada or Australia are very nice. P.S. If pint glasses now have to have the C.E. instead of the crown, I'll be sticking to shorts in future. (laughs) And so, like... (laughs) How dare you, Europe? (laughs)
1: Expecting me to drink out of a pint glass without a crown on it, I'll just be drinking my 25 milliliters of vodka from now on.
0: (laughs) It's just this weird kind of like I am so desperate to be spited to spite and to be spited,
1: yeah that's a that very I will like,
0: believe absolutely everything
1: that's a very you know? angry brexiter on the internet thing.
0: I should have known not to trust you a lot when you're fucked over the metric martyrs, yeah, I mean, like as Brexit proved. Nothing. Absolutely nothing was solved by this compromise. That yeah. the EU kind of backed off of, of enforcing imperial measurements. Obviously, yeah. it's, a moot, it's a moot point now, but it did kind of set the model for how to do this kind of politics. Find any gap, find any grievance, and just keep squeezing, no matter how yeah. ludicrous it sounds. I mean, this was a very popular campaign, yeah. and it was kind of scoffed at. I would say that it wasn't. Oh yeah. It was taken kind of semi-seriously, but it got to that level of it got to that level of like the way racism is treated by liberals in that they're very, very scared to say, no, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't actually do anything to kind of deal with it. It will just go away by itself, you know? Mm. And it, it is a very odd thing because like measurement and basic trading regulations are a cornerstone of capitalist civilization. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a very ba- of of bourgeois civilization. You know, it yeah. starts with the pro- proper weights and measurements and non-adulteration. Those are the first things that any capitalist civilization passes. You know, mm. um, but yeah, there was very much something to this metric martyrs thing. That the narrative of them became that it was the, the last straw. Mm. You know, there was all these people buckling under all these regulations and mm-hmm. all these all this like foreignness, and the honest British yeomanry weren't going to take it anymore. Yeah um against actually perfectly normal trading stuff something that has to be enforced somehow you know um but yeah it became a very much a thing like the taxpayer, it's no coincidence the taxpayers alliance was formed in 2004 who made a speciality of pushing these a multitude of these smaller issues but essentially having oh it's the little taxpayer against the big brutish hand of government you know it's wasteful it's it's vicious um and even like, you know, even now you see fishing is still that issue. You know,
1: yeah.
0: the fishing industry is less valuable than the Warhammer industry.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's suddenly like it's, this oh, defining
1: like, What are the statistics defi- I saw is it, it makes less money than Harrods?
0: Yeah. But it's suddenly a defining issue of Brexit yeah. importance, enough to hold it up. That may or may not be true, but it is pushed as that. Yeah. Um so like what I was thinking about metric martyrs, thinking about how we explain the recurring appeal of these kind of minuscule issues. Hmm. Like, I think it was overly punitive, obviously. Yeah. Um, you could probably do with just kind of stopping trading or giving people, again, Giving people metric scales, yeah. Because as I say again, they only have to sell and and weigh in metric. They can still, or they can still sell in pounds. They just have to weigh and charge in metric, you know. Yeah. Um, but these very minuscule issues, like floods, hit parts of England over and over again mm. every single year, and do not get half the kind of political campaigning mm-hmm. that this kind of one tiny administrative thing mm. got, you know. And I mean, I think the explanation lies in partially who gets affected um you know, like floods hit everybody, homeowners are too kind of diffuse a group to have that uh, that coherent ability to force government to do something about floods. It's too complex, it's too meaty on both sides it's too it's too broadband, you know yeah, but the thing about these kind of minuscule things, the trading standards and the the metrics thing is figure that features most heavily is the figure of the small holding entrepreneur yeah and the focus of political attention on appeasing them particularly i'm thinking about the market stall holders uh black cab drivers fishermen and farmers right and it's very interesting about what is it about these professions that holds the politicians and and media in such thrall because uh, and also it is like you have to be very specific about this because when I say black cab drivers, I mean them like minicab and Uber drivers often have a racialized profile. Um, Even after the John Warboys case, you still have the figure of the black cab driver held in a certain esteem, which, you know, you didn't after like the Bradford uh, abuse cases, you know, but it's a media that's constantly looking for an authentic voice to kind of puppet a particular agenda about what it is that people want. Yeah. you know more recently you could probably um add to that list of like market storeholders holders or black cab drivers you could probably add retired versions of occupations with a like a reputation for militancy so you think of like miners factory workers mm. what is it about all these things that seems to make them the brexit classes mm. you know what is it that makes them so important i mean the the, the commonalities so they're usually self-employed or self-organized or are portrayed as such, yeah. you know, in the case of farmers are probably not necessarily self-organized or working class. They're probably quite rich, but mm-hmm. um, they they don't strike black cab drivers, fishermen, mm-hmm. farmers, uh, market store holders. They don't, they don't strike. Um, there's something masculine coded or like self-sacrificing about them. Yeah. It feeds into a certain like British masochism about physical jobs or, or well coal-face jobs. Yeah. Um, they don't strike. Um even where they're not physically demanding, they're somewhat instrumental to the functioning of the country. You know, it's food, it's fish, it's transport. Um, they don't strike. They <laughs> possess a certain level of knowledge and skill that resists kind of industrialization Uh, they don't strike and they don't strike um yeah, so I think like yeah, that 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 level of knowledge and skill gives those uh, those professions like a certain level of a privilege, like a guild privilege, I think. Yeah. And you might say like, oh yeah, market trader, anyone can do that. It's just selling veg. But like the actual demands and mechanics of doing that job still have to be learned, and it does have trust and, and like routine as a major commercial imperative, even if that's like overstated and romanticised in like this particular case. It is felt to be that way by the people who do those jobs, mm. and therefore it 's their ideology you mm. know that it it matters on that on that level um, and what links all these jobs as well is that that those skills go towards a kind of a social integration that has market consequences. You need to be able to do the whole me- weights and measures thing to have a regular stream of customers who you know who trust you, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Interference from outside threatens those singular privileges yeah. you know. Um, and to a certain extent, it does kind of make sense that they think that metric would destroy a part of that of that privilege. You know, like you're thinking of not being a of of having it. It's like it is an added barrier and not a kind of direct threat. I think, but I think they see they probably saw it in the same way as like cab drivers see satnavs, yeah, or like yeah. farmers might see GM crops. Both makes things both make their professions more universal, more easily done by other people, and therefore it broadens it out into kind of a precarious a precarious profession, yeah. you know. And I think that like that idea of privilege is a key thing to understanding the metric martyrs and to a certain extent Brexit or at least the ideological face of Brexit, yeah. Because you see, while you're looking through opponents of metrication, you see a lot of like anti-communist language, you know, yeah. everything's a diktat, the yeah. people enforcing it are commissars yeah. coming from the EUSSR. And, you know, the the kind of general feeling that, oh, you want metrication because, and it's communist because it makes everything the same.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, of course, the fact that they're not the same means that they have unique knowledge of their profession and of their, their social, like, environment. You know, they have a mastery of it. And I find it really interesting because, like, it adds this... um Obviously, they didn't all think it was it was necessarily communism. But seeing that people have this kind of instinctual feeling about the broadness of yeah. something like this is not usually explored when it comes to these really, really like tiny parochial issues. Like these market traders operated in a realm where they felt that imperial measurements were more than just a tool. It was a key and unique identifier, which mm-hmm. is like a, a not so secret, but maybe a little confined form of knowledge that a universalist ideal like metrication threatened. After all, if all of these things become universal, what happens? Uber happens. Yeah. Supermarkets happen. The large engulfs the small and you are thrown to the wolves. Mm. You know? Um, There's a quote from uh, Raymond Williams that I saw someone mention on Twitter t- today and it was just really apt. Uh, it's happening everywhere. The big people taking over. We're just a depot now labelling the pulp from abroad. Mm. And like you've got to think that surrendering those privileges makes people think that that's what will happen to them. Yeah. You know, and like the way that they uh, voiced this like loss of privilege was they kept being talked about being turned into criminals. Mm. There was one uh, metric, uh, Janet Devers, who was a market trader in Hackney. Uh, She was threatened with not being able to see her relatives in the U S because of the criminal record she gained from being convicted of selling by imperial measures, which is the irony of the revolt of the small traders. Yeah. These were the kind of people who are reached out to by media to talk about law and order. We have drug dealers, we mm. have prostitutes, we have drug dealing yeah. dealing behind me yeah. and they pick on me for, for yeah. serving in pounds and ounces. Yeah. Do you oh. think that's right? You know, the reach of law and order into things like employment and travel was supposed to appease people like these in the first place. Yeah. These These like sub punishments... Yeah. You're never gonna get a job handling cash again.
1: Yeah.
0: You're never gonna be able to travel to the US or to Australia. This was never meant to reach people who did not have a conception of themselves as criminal, mm-hmm. even while everything about them was being criminalized. Yeah. This was also the year when New Labour was discussing um when New Labour was discussing jail time for graffiti artists. Yeah, I think like the, the most important thing to take from the Metro Martyrs campaign is that what this campaign did was it allowed the groups and parties around it, which is like a lot of different fragmented Eurosceptic groups, um, UKIP in particular, but um, there were others as well, they were able to take this specific feeling of loss of privilege and they were to make it universal. And the easiest way to do that was making these political or administrative matters into cultural matters. Um, It ended up that the metric martyrs argument didn't take place in the realm of efficiency, whether it was easier or better to use imperial or metric but it then took place in the realm of identity all these particular characteristics these imperial units the crown on a pint glass or whatever were all glomped into this haphazard English identity that didn't exist as a whole but just existed as a series of slights mm. you only recognised how English something was when it was threatened to be taken away you know yeah. suddenly the metric martyrs were literally just arrested for being English Oh
1: God, I was, that, um, was it that quote from I can't remember who the quote's from. The thing talk about what's it, The Normans getting here and the sax the Anglo Saxons, sitting muttering into their ale cups.
0: Yeah, there is a. There's a, it's like a a Norman passage, isn't it? Yeah. The Normans were very religious and they would go to church on Sundays, while the Anglo Saxons muttered conspiracies into their ale cups. Yeah. <laughs> it's just never ending.
1: Where was Brexit first uttered? It was uttered then in those ale cups. <laughs>
0: You can see, like, people operating in imperial measurements were suddenly defending a sovereign culture and cultural symbol. Yeah. And you can see it in, like, that Guardian bit about Steve Thoban. Like, he goes from, oh, yeah, you know, my customers all recognise pounds to the imperial system is part of our culture, part of our history. There's no way he wasn't briefed on those particular words because those are the UKIP words from the last 20 years. Yeah. You know? Um Michael Shrimpton, you know, the pseudo spook paedophile QC defending, <laughs> um, he said that Thoburn um, was a John Hampden of the weighing scales, whose courage has implications far beyond greengrocers, bananas, and the fair city of Sunderland. He told the court the European is entitled to his policy. What he is not entitled to do is apply that policy in defiance of the British Parliament. This is how highly strung the rhetoric around this stupid fucking thing became, you know, even the name, even their name, the metric martyrs. Yeah. Who fucking calls themselves that? Like all the supposed traditional, like understatedness of the English and all mm-hmm. oh, we, you know, we're not a dramatic people. Bullshit drama queens, <laughs> all of them. but this, and like, this wouldn't end here either. This would be the trademark of popular euros skepticism. Yeah. If you want to go in British politics and find like, Highfalutin abstract concepts, like top tier abstract Mm concepts—freedom, sovereignty, liberty—you go to Eurosceptics, you go to the UKIPs and the Farage's of this of this world, and like this abstractness. This was what allowed these smaller issues to—they—they reverse the flow. They flow uphill into larger larger matters, rather than um, British people use imperial to use imperial became British. Mm. It was unique. This was a thing to be defended and sheltered in this globalising world. And like a lot of press reports used words like intrusion and overreach when describing this use of imperial units. Suddenly this took on national implications. This was indignity. It was the, the being stripped of imperial units. It was a humiliation.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, a national yeah. humiliation. Historians write on the national humiliation of Germany losing the First World War. What does that look like in a, in a declining town? <laughs> yeah. You know, in a in, in the north of England, it's this sliding, slow degradation of, of petty differences, of things changing and you're not being able to quite put your finger on it, but suddenly you can't do this one thing. And it's a humiliation. It's not all the time, it's these occasional needling humiliations. Usually whenever you're forced into contact with any kind of politics, even the most localist of politics, your local trading standards officer, it becomes a humiliation. They're mm. always there over you. And you have to bear in mind, considering the humiliation angle, every one of the cases brought by the Metric Mart has lost. Yeah. What's more, I mean, like Neil Heron did when he gets into his parking thing. He lost every single one of those cases. <laughs> yeah. The constant small scale feeling of humiliation, then combined with this kind of superior this like nationalist superiority. I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of snappy way to sum up what that is politically, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> um And, yeah, look, I know, like, it is a long step from, you know, these are my sovereign measurements to proto-fascism. But it Ah. seems to have taken barely 20 years to actually get there.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, it was actually quite a small step, I think. And You know, it wasn't guaranteed or intended in the early 2000s, not by the metric martyrs themselves, certainly, I'm sure. But I think, like, the difference between then and now is that maybe more dominant shards of capitalism and, and groups were not as attuned to it. Yeah. Like, they can... Bang metric martyrs out once a month now. Yeah, like I mean, statues, universities, racism, Black Lives Matter, everything just, just like comes up, and it doesn't really matter whether it gets resolved. It doesn't really matter whether no. you lose. Like all that matters is the ability to get tons of people just a little bit worked up, just to get those few column inches and TV interviews, but get them every day for years and years. If you do that, you can lose. The lesson of the metric martyrs and of Brexit is that you can lose every formal political battle. You can lose every debate. You can get ridiculed and mocked. You can still win, and then you still get to act aggrieved. Yeah. That's pure Brexit. Yeah. That's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. Follow me at BM Bergamo. Follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.